when you see someone and you have a strong response, it's like, oh, I would never have done that. Why wouldn't you have done that? Ask yourself that question, get curious, have fun with it and recognize that as you do that, you will create space within yourself to see yourself more clearly. And that will help you then not to have knee jerk reactions because you'll know what that response is about. Welcome to Hope to Recharge podcast. Thank you for joining me here again today. Every week we meet here to break the stigma around mental health and to bring you insight and inspiration and lots of practical tips from personal stories or professionals around the world that share how they turn their journey of mental health into healing or to thriving. Together we will break the stigma one story at a time. And mental health together is always better. Thank you for joining me here today. I'm your host, Matana. Let's get started. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com, the leading online platform for therapy. If you're looking for easy access to thousands of licensed therapists, go to BetterHelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. That's BetterHelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. No better time to get started with mental health on Mental Health Awareness Month. That is now May. Take advantage of this 10% off. Just press the link in the show notes, BetterHelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. In this episode of the Hope to Recharge podcast, we welcome Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril. Dr. Abril holds a master's degree in clinical psychology and a doctorate in developmental psychology. She spent the early portion of her career as a psychotherapist for children in Chicago's child welfare system and then stepped into academia for 10 years. As a professor, she delivered well-received presentations at national and international psychology conferences covering issues such as identity development and family dynamics. She is a psychology professor turned self-help author turned podcast host. She brings academic acumen and wisdom gleaned from 27 years on the dating scene to expertise on love, life, and health. In this episode, she discusses identifying and knowing our own core values. An author of the book, Single is the New Black, she encourages singles to remain strong, stay true to themselves, and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. In her podcast, Love and Life, she discusses areas such as dating and relationships, engagement and marriage, psychology and therapy, family matters, and much more. And now, the Hope to Recharge podcast. I got my master's in clinical psychology, which is the training to become a therapist. And I believed I was going to be a therapist. And I worked, my first job as a therapist was in Southside Chicago, working with children in the child welfare system, which is obviously a very painful population with which to work because these kids have gotten into the foster care system because of some very painful and atrocious things that have happened to them, frankly. And I was 24 years old and I was going to save the world and I was going to save all the children. And be the Messiah. (laughs) Yeah. So I started as a therapist and I enjoyed that work, but it was one of those things where, and I think as we get a couple of years under our belt, we realize there's more to do. I, I didn't feel that I had finished my educational goals and ambitions. So I wanted to go back to get a doctorate. So I did that after doing several years of work in Southside Chicago, and then a year of volunteer work in West Philadelphia, also in an urban context, living within the community. And then I went and got my doctorate. And then when I graduated, I went back to Chicago Southside to be a professor at a university called Chicago State University, which is about 98% African-American students, maybe 1% Latino, maybe 1% white mostly first-generation college students coming to avail themselves of the opportunities that college can provide. And so I really enjoyed that. I was there five years and I went 
to another university in just the outskirts of Chicago called Concordia University. I was teaching then in the grad program now, teaching people to become therapists. So my experience as a therapist and then my academic experience was all on track. So professionally, I'm, I'm catching my stride and I'm loving my work so much. I loved being a professor, absolutely loved it. Along the way, my personal life was not going as planned. I was struggling with my relationships. I was meeting partners and having long-term relationships, but nothing was moving forward to marriage, which was what I desired. At 30, I met a guy in a club in Chicago. He looked great on paper, was a really great guy and smart, accomplished, driven. And I thought, okay, I'm not feeling that those sparks, but I'm 30 now. I'm not where I want to be with my relationship life, my personal life. Maybe I need to give this guy a shot. I stayed with him for three years, accepted a marriage proposal. And then two months before our wedding, when I was 34 years old, I called off the wedding because it did not align. This connection, this relationship did not align with some of my core values, which we'll talk about later. But yes, the core values came in there as well. So now I'm 34 years old, which is not old, but when you're off whatever kind of markers that you've hoped to have, these milestones in your life that you haven't met, it can be very difficult. So like a lot of women, I, especially as a psychologist, I thought, okay, I'm going to get some relationship advice. And I go to the self-help section in the bookstore and I start reading books and Matana, they were very disparaging. They were not helpful. I was in the self-help section. I'm not getting help. I was feeling very demoralized after reading such (sighs) works. And I don't think the authors intended to do that, but the underlying messages of these books, the messages were, you're doing something wrong. You are fundamentally flawed. That is why you're still single. Oh yeah. A lot. Oh yeah. Yes. Like get your act together and move it and compromise. And there, love is not real love and life is hard. All that stuff. A lot of that stuff. Instead yes. of motivating you and saying, be your true self. There's always there. There's a, my cousin used to say for every pot, there's a lid that fits. Yes. Sure, it fits. And I, and my, my cousin then used to say, what if I'm in a frying pan and I don't have a lid, but I, you would think self-help would be to come to ourselves and connect ourselves versus to connect to a false part of ourselves that will connect to somebody that doesn't align with us. Sarah Blakely says it very nicely. She said that Jesse, do you follow them? I don't follow them, but I know she created Spanx. So right, I'm aware. Right. So, so Jesse is her husband. She got married at, I want to say 37 or 42. I don't remember one of the, I don't remember if she became a mother at 42 or she got married at 42. I don't remember. And she said, no, maybe she got married when she was 37 or maybe she met them. Anyway, she said, she was very successful, driven. She knew what she wanted. She had a ton of potentials coming her way, but she said, I didn't see any of them in my movie of my life. That yeah. she, and she was so sure about her movie of her life and how she wanted to, to unfold. And she said, does this person fit in the movie of my life? I love that. I love that analogy and that imagery mm-hmm. of watching your own life getting a little space, objectivity a bit, even on your own life, stepping back and going, does that look like the leading man for me as I am the star, the leading woman in my own movie? I think that's really helpful. 
I'd never thought of it that way, but certainly when I look back on my relationship with my ex-fiance, that's ex- I could have said that exact same thing as Sarah said. Yeah. And it's important as we go into the core values to check in with ourselves and say, because it's very easy to get caught in the fear, will I ever get married? If yes. not, should I just settle? Am I being too picky? Am I asking for too much? Am I living in a twilight zone? Is this reality? Do I deserve happiness? Maybe I don't deserve it. Maybe I don't deserve love. But and we can get caught up on that and then settle for something that doesn't align with us and then forget to check in. Yeah. And that's exactly it. And that's why as I was looking at those books, I remember driving home from the bookstore one time with my parents. I was back home visiting them for a weekend and I was complaining about the titles and the, the, like I said, the messages, the theses of these books were so disparaging. And I remember saying to my parents, what if you just haven't met your person yet? What if it's as simple as that? It's not that you need to follow this five-step plan to get yourself sorted out, as you mentioned, and then you'll finally be suitable and you'll have arrived. And now you're worth being in partnership with. I was like, what if you just haven't met the person yet? My dad looks at me, you're a psychologist. Maybe you better write that book. Wow. And that's when it started. I thought, yeah, there, it, there needs to be another vantage point in this space that is truly helpful and truly empowering because I do believe most of the time people are single longer than perhaps they want to be for that simple reason. What is it? Oxum's rule. The, the simplest explanation is most oftentimes the accurate one that we just haven't met our person yet. But to your point, the fear can seep in and people can then compromise and doubt themselves on a level that's really soul crushing and then step into partnership, like you said, flat out settling because the fear is overwhelming them and it's causing them to step away from their core values and their authenticity. And how many people don't even know their core values? They don't even know what that means. What does it mean, core value? And usually- I must say, people that don't dwell in self-help and a lot of people just go through life and they don't need a wake-up call. I used to be that person. Just one thing to the other, survive. Everything's fine. Don't go deep. Just get through life. But then a crisis happens. And then you start doing the open heart surgery and brain mm-hmm. surgery on yourself and say, okay, what went wrong? What was I, not, was I, what was I on autopilot that didn't even feel right? What am I? Who am I? What do I want? And unfortunately, I want to say majority of society doesn't can go through life and not even once sit down and ask themselves, what are your core values and understand what that means? Right. And what you are doing when you're not, like you said, when you're in autopilot and you're not examining those core values, you're not even sure you're untethered you're not sure what your decisions are about. And that's why uh, many therapists, in particular, I'm thinking of ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, which was created by Dr. Stephen C. Hayes. He's been on my podcast a couple of times, which was such an honor to have someone who created a therapy. It's a third generation cognitive therapy. And I love the cognitive modalities because that's where you take charge of your mindset. From listening to my program, my motto of my program, the slogan is take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life. And your thoughts are going to be percolating up from those core values, which are your belief systems and are your foundation. And if you're not sure what your core values are, how can you challenge thoughts? Because 
your thoughts are going to be rooted in those beliefs and those values. And until you identify those, then you can't even have the control over your mindset that you really need to have to be thriving psychologically and emotionally. And I want to share why I connected so much to what you were sharing on that podcast and on that episode. And you were saying, so, now this is a little controversial and it's okay. If it doesn't resonate with a lot of people, that's okay. It resonates with me and it's my truth. I know that one of my core values is God and religion in my world. It's my, me work, like working with God that he is my leader and, and my relationship with God is my core value. I feel disconnected with when I don't work with God, aligned with God. Like it's, and religion gets me there. The, th the thing is that if religion, two different religions don't align with their core values, it can be a huge battle because we're struggling with something that is so deep inside ourselves. Now, it's not good or bad. It's just a reality. It's like somebody speaking Japanese and somebody speaking English, and they're both speaking. They both have a language, but they don't understand each other. And there's no way to communicate. Yeah, it is controversial. In fact, I was just on doing a live with someone recently and I said something very similar to what you just said. And this person pushed back. They said, you wouldn't have to share the same religion because to be in, in a healthy, happy partnership, because as, as long as each partner respected the other's point of view, and I thought, well, on a surface level, yes, we could respect. But if someone is an atheist and I'm a Christian, when I pray, they think that's foolish. So where's the respect? They can give me lip or service. Or a waste say, of time. They oh, could say, yeah. oh, roll their eyes and say, okay, right. where are your words going? Yeah. Exactly. Like, why would you waste your time? Exactly. And so there's a level of respect that I believe people who are in really thriving, extraordinary relationships. It could happen. It could happen. But it's not the norm. It's not the norm. And it's making it a lot harder. Yeah, it's putting more obstacles in the way versus the harmonious relationship. Now, within the religion, we can also be very vastly different. Like I'm an Orthodox Jew, and I know that I'm different than my family. And a lot of our core values within the religion is different in itself. That's hard. So where do I find myself as a human in general? I'm identifying with the Orthodox Jewish person that I see in my mind. And my family could see it vastly different. And do we respect each other? Do we give ourselves each other space to be that person within the religion? It can also cause conflict in the communities and schools and families. It does. For me, it did growing up. I was vastly different than my family. The one when I turned 18 and when I allowed myself to think for myself and I'm like, wait a second, this doesn't fit with my core values of what I believe of God and my spirituality, something is a little bit off. If you looked at me from the outside, you wouldn't even know. But in my inside, there are certain mm -hmm. things that are vastly different within the community. And you, it takes a giant to really respect and accept. And besides the fact that it could be really difficult, for, I'll give you an example in the Orthodox world, an example. And your mind might, be, I don't know if you know this or not. So in the Orthodox world, when we get married, when she gets her cycle, the couple has to separate physically. Some people don't even sleep in the same bed. Some people separate the beds. 
there's different levels. So for two weeks, the week that she's has a cycle and seven days afterwards or five days and seven days, it has to be a minimum of five plus seven. Okay. They're separated every month. And then she has to go to pure water and she has to submerge herself in this pure water. And then she's holy. And then they, as if they're reuniting once a month, if she's pregnant, it doesn't happen. And after birth, it's five to 10 weeks. How could that work in a couple that one believes in and one doesn't? That would seem to be very difficult for, yeah, for if one partner was, was thinking that all of that ritual was meaningless and the other person felt very adhering to it. it was important. Yeah. So that's just a technical problem or the Sabbath. We don't use electronics. We don't drive. We don't do anything on Sabbath for 24 hours. If somebody wants to go to the beach or, or go driving somewhere, a couple, one of the partners wants to keep Sabbath and wants to go to synagogue and do all the rituals. And the other one's like, oh, you're wasting a day. Let's go to the beach. Let's go have fun. Let's go. You can't. So it's just technically right. also hard. And the respect part, you just feel so alone when you're not respected. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, this is, it's the psych research plays this out. It supports what you're saying that when we have those same ways of doing life, which are rooted in our core values, our partnerships are easier. There's right. so much rhetoric about how hard marriage is. And I really push back on that. And granted, as I shared, my story is that I didn't end up meeting my husband until I was 40 and got married at 42. So yeah, I was a grown up, like a real grown up by the time I got married. And I think sometimes when people are younger, they're a little bit more emotionally immature. They maybe have expectations. Oh, my husband should make me happy. And he's not making me happy instead of owning their own emotional maturity and growth and, and responsibility therein. But I still push back about this notion that relationships have to be hard when you're with the right person. It's not. And it's very much because of what you're speaking to, because these values are aligned, it's, there's just fewer things to fight about. And marital therapists talk about these commonalities as being money in the bank. And so it's like a deposit that you've, an investment so that when you have this kind of, what are we doing on Sunday? Our Sabbath is Saturday. Mm -hmm. So on your, yeah. So are you know, Christians? We it's Sunday more, but right. So on Saturday, what are we doing? You're like, we're not doing anything. And there's no fight about it because you, you agree. There's that commonality. And it's not only what we're now, we look forward to it. Like for us, the Sabbath is every week it comes and it's a holiday for us. It's like a Thanksgiving. I always say we have Thanksgiving every single yeah. weekend and it's beautiful. And yes. it's not this stress. Now, granted, within religion, there could be a ton of core values issues as well. But it takes a giant, and I'm not saying it's impossible, but it takes a giant of two giants living together with a tremendous amount of awareness and willingness to really accept acceptance. And that takes a lot of work. So I want to deep dive into what it, how do we, how do we understand core values? How do we look inside ourselves? If someone says, you know what? I never did that question to myself. What is my core values? How do we know what our core values are? Not based on what we were taught growing up, what core values should be. So the easiest way to figure out your core values are what are the things that you get in fights about with people? And if you unpack those arguments, there's always a core value at, at, at the root of that. So something, an example would be is someone might be super punctual and someone else may not be, right? I'm laughing because I posted about it yesterday. Did you, you see did? My post? I missed that. No, I missed it. Sorry. I posted how, to you, how do you deal if you're very on time 
and people that you love and adore are chronically late. How do you not lose respect to them, but how do you stick to your core values that time is time? You honor somebody's time. Yesterday. We are vibing here. That is so funny. Yeah. And so if you look at it on the surface, it might think that someone is responsible and punctual and someone else is carefree and maybe irresponsible and perhaps even impolite. But if we unpack further, you might find that someone who's punctual, their value is yes, that they want to be polite when, and, and respectful of others' time. And they like order and structure. That's a value for them. They want their day to be organized and that provides safety and security for them. You might find that the person who's not so punctual, it's not that they're a mean person or impolite or inconsiderate. It might be that they value when they're with someone, they are going to give all their presence such that maybe they had a, a noon appointment with, with us, but they had a, a 10 o'clock appointment with someone else. And they got caught up in that moment because they were so present in that time and place. And they wanted to give complete attention to the person with whom they were with that then time got away from them. So when we understand that, and it's in this case, and I don't know how you framed it. I'd be curious to what you, as to what you said or what you shared in your caption, in your post. In this case, I think there's room to recognize and respect both value sets. And then of course, if we're talking about relationships, we'd have to come to some sort of compromise. I tend to, my husband is super punctual, super ordered and structured. I'm a little bit more free spirited. So we had to come to a compromise where he gives me a little grace. If I'm later than he had hoped, he tries to remember, I know Karen is in the moment with someone and giving someone all of her. And I don't want to be threatened by that or be frustrated with that. At the same time, I had to honor his value system and recognize that, yeah, I can be present with someone, but I can also be respectful of my next appointment. And that is in fact important too. Just because I'm with this person in this moment doesn't mean that the next person I'm supposed to be with should get short shifts. And so I think it's important to unpack something along those lines, especially when you're in a relationship. So this is a very, it's a very common battle that people have. You're either on time or not on time. I usually, I don't find much that are, are very wishy. You're either an on-time yeah, person right. or a five minute early person yes. or a chronically late person. I don't think that there's much in between that you can't identify yourself as one of them, right? Right, yeah. So this is really something that, work forces struggle with appointments with doctors, dentists, lawyers, therapists, friends, a coffee date, spouses, mm -hmm. events, planes. Think about all the things we go in life. How do we know what the mother core value of that? Because I would say, okay, on time is a value, but is that a core value? If we have to check, if we have to like say, okay, what are your five core values that you're constantly checking in, that you're not going a lot, not out of line of them to make sure that you're with alignment. Let's say you have something come up and you have an offer for something. This comes up for me a lot. I have an offer. Do you want to speak here? And I have five children. I have a business. I have a lot going on. I have to constantly check in. Does this offer align with my core values, even yeah. if it's sparkling, beautiful offer? This is aligned with my core values. So I have my core values that are very, it's five. So my question is, so time, how do we make, to understand what's the elevated core value of that? Yeah. So I think they're all, like you're saying, oftentimes there'll be a value that's here, but there may be a value that's beneath it. That's the foundation for that value. Or as you put it, like the mother of all core values. And some of these we do internalize from our culture, right? In certain cultures in the world, we know for a fact, time is, is quite different. They don't, if someone says, I, I, I did a 
when I was in college, my college choir went down to Haiti mm-hmm. and did, we sang because as, as you know, Haiti's so impoverished and they have such uh, very little, they lack infrastructure to the degree that we have. So a bunch of, of college students coming down to sing at a church in Haiti was like big news. People were coming from miles because that was, they didn't have a, a lot of entertainment. And so we came down, but we, what we had to learn was, and, and the, the choir director, he'd been there before that if we said we were going to have a seven o'clock church service singing, people might be still showing up at eight 30. So it's a very different understanding based on their cultural norms in, in Western culture. We tend to value time more, but like you said, with your five core values, another way for people, there's online quizzes you can take that will help you suss out which values are the most core for you. And I think it's always doing this very thoughtful reflection when you are dealing with something that bothers you. Like I said, when you get into a fight with your partner or with a friend or something that bothers you, take a moment to reflect, what is it about it that bothers you? Why is that a problem for you? And this is what gets to the core of like political and religious. And that's why these are such hot topics because really embedded in the reason that someone leans in a different direction politically or in religion, it's because of those core values that they resonate with. So for example, if you have a situation where you've got, let's say for parents out there, and they've got a kid who's getting D's and F's, right? When they're in college, for example, the core value may be you're wasting your parents' money. That might be one core value. That's a waste of money. And finances are up there too with major core values, Mm -hmm. whether we're spenders or savers what is appropriate to spend money on that sort of thing. And then it can also be another layer of core value of what is education supposed to be? And if you're there clearly half-hearted, you don't really care. You're wasting your parents' money. You're also wasting your own time. You're spinning your wheels. There could be other values of what are we supposed to be doing with our time when we're in college? We're supposed to be applying ourselves. We're supposed to be learning. And if we're not doing that, then what are we doing? So then a parent might I'd say, I need to redirect my kid because I can't bankroll something that's so out of step with my core values. And it's not teaching the young person and instilling into that young person the values that we have for not wasting other people's money, not wasting time, with not wasting your God-given gifts of your intellect, that sort of thing. That would be another example of how you can start to understand, oh, that is a core value for me. But what do we do when we have children? This is one another controversial conversation in general. I'm a mom of five. And I grew up with very strong core value, religion, family, gratitude, honesty, and accountability. No, no negotiable and honoring my mom. My father, there was no greater sin than not honoring my mom and respecting her. That was like a line you don't cross and not respecting with the way we talk. Like with love, with admiration. If she's sleeping, you're quiet. If she needs something, you give it to her. You talk with, with respect. Okay. That those were our core values. And if you ask any of our, I'm one of six, they'll know to recite it. It's non-negotiable. Okay. So I grew up one of six. How do I know if my f- parents' core values that they were so passionate about, and it became part of my DNA. How do I know as a child or an 18 year old, or as I'm growing up or 20, that it's really me, my core values, and it's not something that I'm autopilot got from generation before that, that programmed me to be my core value. And I think that a lot of people get very messed up here and 
choosing their relationships, choosing their career, how they want to do life. And they're doing it based on the core values that they were programmed. I agree with you. In fact, my dissertation for my doctorate was on individuation from family of origin. And it's hard as a parent because what I think is a very healthy developmental stage and process, which happens oftentimes at college, as we spoke to earlier, or in your early adulthood, where you do start to get a little distance from your family. And that's when you need to take stock, as you're saying, is this core value that I believe I have, is it mine? Or was it just handed to me? And oftentimes we'll do some exploration. We may push back. We may do things that the exact opposite than the way that we were raised for a period of time to explore and go, is this me? Does this fit? Or no, actually, I think mom and dad were right. I'm going to stick with that value. And that's a very worthwhile exercise. It's very hard for parents to watch because Mm. they feel like they're losing their child. But I do think it's necessary, which is another reason getting back to the notion of, of being single in adulthood that we talked to a little bit earlier. And a lot of my work is based on that because of my own experience, of course, and the women in my community. But there are so many benefits to having a few years of adult life and maybe more than a few years. And if someone gets married to the love of their life early, you go straight into partnership. This experience that you're talking about, having some space to figure out what's mine and what was handed to me by my family, it's a little bit harder to figure that out if you're in partnership. Sometimes having the couple of years of space as a single adult allow you to examine those values and determine whether or not they are going to be yours moving forward. So how do we do that? It's gotta, so hard. It's you so live. hard. You have to you explore. Live and you que- yeah, you live, you question, you explore. Like I said, every time you have, every time something gets you mad, like road rage, if someone cuts you off, what is that about? What is it? It's, you're feeling that it's rude. For me as a psychologist, I'm concerned that someone is driving with anger management issues and they could crash into somebody else and kill someone. Look, anytime that you find yourself up against an emotion, a strong reaction, response to something, unpack it. And it takes time. And like you said earlier, if you're not willing to do that, you're going to be running around on autopilot and you're going to have problems eventually because sometime at some point you're going to have a reaction and you're not even going to know what it's about. And like you said, you're going to have to start doing open heart surgery. What was that about? Why am I freaking out here? And then you're going to go, I have anxiety. You may not have anxiety. You may just have unprocessed emotions and values and thoughts that you have not been willing to access. And I find a lot in relationships. I could speak about my own relationship. My husband is chronically late. I am the 20 minute early person. So we, Mm. so I learned within life to be on time. But with him, even if I know and I prepare myself, he's going to be late. He's going to be late. I'll tell him how important it is for me. He does get better with time. It took him years to even understand for him to understand why he's chronically late. Like just to consume that. Like, where's it coming from? Is it the lack of care? Is it you get lost in time? Is it that you were taught growing up that time doesn't matter and no one matters Mm -hmm. because you just make up things along the day and you just... You're not mindful about time. I remember dating him. He never wore a watch. And I'm like, why are you not wearing a watch? He's like, I don't need one. Maybe that's why you're always late. Maybe if you wore a watch, you would be mindful of your time. And, and I used to take it personally, very personally. You don't care about me. You don't value my time. And it became this whole thing versus stepping back and saying, okay, what's your core value, Ari? What's my core value? And how can we really align and understand where the wound is. Like why, as you said, what triggers me? 
And why am I triggered by this? Why is him not being on time, me reacting, you don't care about me? Versus he's not on time. I'm not going to meet him. You're lost. Move on. Do you sometimes feel stuck? Do you wish you can be somewhere else? Do you have a vision of where you want to get to, but you just don't know what the first step to take in order to get to that life that you're dreaming of? Many people ask me, what did I do in order to create this wellness that I'm living in? How did I shift from deep depression, from extreme anxiety to a thriving life, to a productive life, to a life full of joy? I put many things into practice and it's every single day. Many of you know that it's gratitude, a healthy mindset, boundaries, self-love, and one of the most important things that many people don't speak about, forgiveness, self-forgiveness and forgiveness to others, essential for healing. If you want to work one-on-one with me in order to move forward towards that dream life that you have a vision of, click the link below in the show notes. It's a custom-made program for you, one-on-one with me. We will develop a concrete program that you can implement in your life so you can create a better well-being. Click the link below. Looking forward to working with you. And now enjoy the rest of the episode. Why am I triggered by this? Why is him not being on time, me reacting, you don't care about me versus he's not on time. I'm not going to meet him. You're lost. Move on. If we were having a session, I would encourage you to Look at the meaning behind time. So obviously punctuality, accountability, responsibility was a big theme in your household. And you've internalized that and you align with those values that your parents gave to you. And that's great. It doesn't mean that every time we do this individuation process, we chuck all of the values our parents gave us. Absolutely not. So what does it mean to you when someone is late? What does it mean about how they feel? How do you interpret that in terms of how that person feels about you and how how you view that person? My old self before I went to therapy about it. Yeah. I still struggle with it. I know that my mind after so much therapy, my mind knows how to calm myself down and to come to center, but it still goes to the same core hurt. I'm not Mm. being seen. I'm Mm. not being valued. If you cared about me, you would know this matters to me and you would show up on time. Yep. No meaning. I'm meaningless. A lack of respect, a lack of, lack of being seen. That's all the same family. You don't respect me. You don't see me. You don't care about mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. I don't matter. And those are deep feelings. And to have them, like you said, triggered based on someone showing up five minutes late, I think it's valid. It's, re- it's your life. It's, it's your experience. It's what you've brought from your childhood. And I think, and I'm sure with your husband, with Ari, when you're able to explain it that way, I'm sure he's that's the last thing I want to communicate to you. You're my wife. I adore you. I love you. I exactly. devoted my life to you. And then you're like, okay, dude. So then we show up get on time. Punk- right? <laughs> if you don't want to communicate this to me, if yeah. I'm, I'm giving you the script of how to show. Yeah. Don't buy me flowers. Don't buy me diamonds. I always yeah. say, chuck the flowers, chuck the diamonds, chuck that be on time. And that is the biggest gift you yeah. can give me. It's so easy, but it's not. So what's going on in Ari's life? that's sticking to his core value, that's hard for him to really show up on time. It's hard work. And why does he have to come towards me? Why am I not coming towards him? If I were seeing you and your husband in a therapy session, we'd look at trying to find some middle ground for sure, because we don't want to vilify him. And 
your husband. My guess just right off the bat would be that he doesn't want to be managed. He doesn't want to be handled. And so he wants that flexibility, the value of him having ownership over his experience and time and schedule is very core to him is my guess. And then I have to understand. And then I asked myself, so we're going back to the core values. Yep. We're seeing the two core values. Mine is accountability, commitment. You, word, your word is your word. Your word is your word. You're saying five o'clock, it's five o'clock. And no reasons and no uh, explanations. I don't like when people make up reasons. And I say make up because there's always excuses. Yep. Why am I being that strict person versus compassion that I preach even more so compassion, flexibility, understanding. And so which one is a core value by me? If two of them, if honesty and accountability is one and another one is show up with compassion, with an open mind, is one more than the other? I think, yeah, I think so. That's why I love this conversation that we're just organically doing the process of what you talked about earlier. How do we figure out our core values? You start doing this kind of conversation with yourself, with a therapist, with a trusted friend who also likes to do this kind of work, because what you're finding is that, yes, you're compassionate. And it doesn't mean that in every domain, right? It doesn't mean that time is the thing for you. End of story. It just means that those values of accountability and responsibility, your word is your word. Those are higher in your hierarchy of values, not than compassion in the realm of punctuality. Doesn't mean that it, you're not a compassionate person. In other contexts, that would be a, the primary value in a certain domain. But when it comes to punctuality, and also I heard something else, which I love because I feel the same way. I don't want to hear your excuses. Right. I don't, I'm not here for it because I, and I'm, and so that gets into honesty because to mm-hmm. me, that's being very dishonest in a sense. Let's just be honest. The person who shows up late, they valued something else more than being on time with you. Now, that, I'm just calling a spade. Right. It doesn't mean that their other value means that they're a jerk or a horrible person. It just means that let's be honest, that's what happened. And I'm like you, like when people are bail out the last minute to go to meet me for dinner or coffee or something, I don't really want to hear. I, and here's an interesting value that I've come to where it's given me a little grace. When people at the last minute will cancel plans or cancel a party or not show up, blah, blah. My husband would always be like, well, they better deal. They found something they want to do instead. And it was a better deal for them. Mm. And it felt, and I was like, yeah, they probably did better deal. And then I thought to myself, here's another value though. I don't want anyone to ever spend time with me unless that's exactly what they want to do. Love that. I don't want them spending time with me out of guilt, Love out that. of obligation. So if you better deal, then I say, great, go have fun. When you're with me, I want that to be the only place you want to be. And if that's not the place you want to be, go and have fun with that other person. If that's a better deal, I'm going to not feel inferior because you've made a different selection. That's my choice to not let your choice impact me and how I value myself and who I am. And I think that takes another step into what you talk about. Know who you are. And if somebody says no to you, it's not because you're a bad person, just you're not a fit. And I want to be with people that fit with me, align with me, that will make me show up the best I can in my world. Yes, we're going to have struggles and whatever, but if you're not a fit, and even in the professional world, with when clients say, you know what, I don't see this a fit. It's okay. I don't want to work with people that don't align with me because I'm wasting your time, my time, money, energy. 
I could give it to somebody else that does work with align with the with our profession. Absolutely. Yeah. And I did a reel recently because this week's podcast was speaking with Eli Ellie Weinstein. He's a social worker and a therapist. We just and I, oh, I know him. He's in Queens. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's great. He's also yes. orthodox. OK, yeah, because he did speak to his heritage a bit. We were ta- talking about therapy in general. And one of the things I did in this reel was the, a myth of therapy is that, oh, I went and I saw a therapist and it didn't work and therapy's not for me. When the reality is exactly what you just spoke to is that is about finding that fit. And if you did not find the fit, that's no harm, no foul. It's just like dating, really. You don't click with everybody. We don't have that natural affinity. We don't vibe with everyone. And we certainly don't rely on core values. So if I'm with a therapist whose core values are so different from mine, it's going to be hard because I might bring something that's very deep and meaningful and painful to me. But if she, again, doesn't see that or he doesn't see that as being a big deal, then they're going to have a hard time providing the empathy and support for me. And again, it's not that they're a bad person. It's just that we ha- we're, we're just on parallel paths and maybe mutually exclusive journeys and right. maybe just not a fit. And don't say no to a general for anything just because an experience was bad. Give it another try. Give it another try. My husband got married really late in the Orthodox world. He was, for his time, he was 32. He dated over 400 girls. And then he stopped counting 400 girls. Now by us in the Orthodox world, that's almost unheard of. And he said, I always looked for one thing or two things that are positive. I will never say no on the first date. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm going to find the positive just because it can't be that everything is negative and it will make me continue to go out. I'm going to say yes to everything on the first time. Mm -hmm. And he said that that's how he kept not feeling that rejection or frustration. There's a good in everything. It's not a fit next, not a fit next, but I'm not going to say no, just because 400 didn't work out. We're going to go 401. I love that. I love that. And you got to feel pretty special because he refused to settle. He gave people chance, which I love as well. And I encourage women in my community and men as well. Yeah. Give it a couple dates. Someone can be nervous on the first date. We don't want to write them off. We can try to find that common ground. And then as we continue to gather information, we determine whether or not it's a fit for moving forward to a serious relationship. But kudos to him for not settling. And you got to feel like the rock star because you're like, Mm -hmm. I showed up and all of a sudden. It's not all of a sudden. It was six months of figuring out core values, literally of uh, for for my I, I grew up very ultra orthodox and six months is a long time. And he was in America. I was in Israel. It was long, but we were determined to know that we can, that we're, we knew that we have differences. It wasn't even a question, but we knew that we knew how to get through it and we knew how to build through our adversities and how to work it out, how to not hide behind it, how to get deeper in our relationship when we understand our wounds and when we understand our vulnerability and where we're slacking off. So it was different. It was, it's hard work. It's still hard work. It's still constant hard work, but we're on a mission together to really build life as friends, really. Not yeah. every relationship has to be friends. I don't believe that every relationship, I think it's a bonus. I think it's great. I think it's a gift. It's really a gift, but some people aren't best friends with their spouses and it works for them. It just works for them. What are your, what's your opinion about that? So I base my relationship model on Dr. Robert Sternberg's triangular theory of love. 
which looks at three core elements that most of us are looking for. One is the commitment. We want someone who's going to be faithful, trustworthy, who will honor and protect our heart. The second part is the romance, the passion, the sparks, the chemistry. And then the third piece he calls intimacy. And in this case, he's talking about the friendship. And I think, yes, any variation of those components can work if people are committed deeply enough. But I do think most of us in the modern era and maybe Orthodox Jew, Jewish culture is a little bit different, but I think most of us in the modern era, we want that total package. We will feel something's lacking if we don't have a deep friendship with our spouse. And we certainly will feel something's lacking if we don't have the sparks and the chemistry. And I think that sometimes when people step into a relationship without all three of those elements in place, I think they can start to feel that they are lacking and that they are looking at the grass being greener somewhere else. And maybe they get on Facebook and all of a sudden there's an ex-boyfriend from high school. So I, I caution people to be careful about compromising in any of those realms. But to your point, people do make it work. No, people do make it work. And as I said, I think it's a gift. And I think a lot of people have the three, the triangle, but very fast, they noticed that it wasn't real. Like when they, when life happens and they have a child and then they have a crisis and then there's a, let's say a business crisis, a death, an experience. That's the test of those three. Are you getting through it? Is it real? That's the test. It's easy to have the three in the beginning when life is not so challenging, but then you get through life. See if they work for you. See if you can elevate it. And I really believe that a lot of that true friendship in a marriage is a true gift. It's a gift and something you work hard on. You really work hard on. And the, it's the adversity that brings your friendship closer. It's not the adversity that, sh- that drifts you apart. The adversity in the marriage and in life is what brings you closer. That's how it works for me. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that's interesting. It's, I, find, I don't find my friendship with my husband hard, though. And for me, I don't, it, it, we're not, we don't work that hard on it. It's very fluid and easy. But again, we were older. Right. And we've lived a lot of life. And I, I, I think, it's great if you can, we all have a, a kind of, a, again, the Sarah Blakely's, the movie of your life. We all have, right. have kind of a movie and, and kudos for her as well to be able to wait long enough until she met that leading man. And I think sometimes if we aren't where we want to be in our movie, we can be so upset and frustrated that we might try to force something with the wrong person. And it's hard, like you said, though, it's hard to know because you can date for a couple of years. And if you've never hit that tragedy yet, you haven't had that deep disappointment or deep painful crisis as a couple. You really don't know what this person, you, you are taking a risk and there, there is a, an element of risk, but I would just encourage people. And I, I think, yeah, diversity can be a strength in your friendship, but I would encourage people to partner with someone with whom it's pretty easy because life is going to be hard. Oh, uh, and it goes back. I'm bringing it all full circle with our mm-hmm. conversation on core values. And I work with couples that, that really, I point out to them, it's not that you're mean to each other. Your core values are so vastly different and you're not realizing that when he's behaving like that, he is negating your core value that you're not even aware of. And the fact that you're both not aware that each other have core values that are not being seen and addressed is the pain. And you think that you keep on having to fix it, but wait, let's go deeper. What's the core value here that you're not being seen? What's his core value that he's not being seen? Can we strip them naked for a second? Look at them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then we can say, okay, wait, it's the core value. It's not about me. It's my core value. 
when we understand it from that perspective, it's so much easier to come towards each other versus when it's personal. And I think that in life, I deal with a lot of people that struggle with depression and anxiety. And I could say that many of them, the breakdowns are because they did not even know their core values and they were not living aligned with them. And the body keeps the score and it's saying, wake up, you're not living. Your subconscious knows your core values. Yeah. And I would, again, getting back to the core values element, I would encourage people to read the book, A Liberated Mind by Dr. Stephen C. Hayes, who we mentioned earlier. He's the creator of ACT, as I said. And it, the reason I say this is because when we identify those core values, it helps us. He talks about moving toward our chosen values. We step into alignment with ourselves, which helps us push through things that are undesirable. So for an example, Let's say someone's core value is to have deep, meaningful friendships, but they find that they don't like to go to big parties because it's anxiety provoking. And now everyone's got social anxiety, which I think is diagnostic inflation, frankly. I think a lot of people are nervous when they enter a room where they don't know a lot of people. I think it's totally human nature to feel that. But if I know that my core value is to connect and to find ways to nurture deep, meaningful relationships, I will push through that nervousness. I will push through that anxiety. Why? Because I want my behavior to be in alignment and move, moving me toward achieving my, my, my core values and the goals that I've set therein. So that helps me push through and it helps me manage anxiety or nervousness or depression. If I have a common core, if I have a core value that I know that I want to live a life full of gratitude and thankfulness for my health and for every day being a gift from God, that alleviates depression. It absolutely does because I can't be in that very down state, a state of mind. And the research shows this in spades that gratitude and, and positive mood are correlated. So if I'm feeling low, I lean into my gratitude, which is my core value of being grateful for this life and my mood lifts. So these are the strategies that we can use to A, figure out what our core values are and then elevate our life to be in alignment with those core values. The other day, I did a short clip that I'm on a group chat for people that are struggling with depression and anxiety, either with themselves or their children or their loved ones. And I give some motivation. Okay, this podcast, half of the episodes are on gratitude, healing with gratitude. That's what I do with my clients, how to um, heal from depression using mindfulness and gratitude, because that's what I work with myself. It's my MO, living with gratitude. People often ask me, and I did a live, a short thing about this. People always ask me, is it that you're so spiritual? You're so connected to God that you live with gratitude? And I'm like, you're getting it all wrong. It's my drug of life because I want to live happy. I know what depression is and I don't want to ever go back there ever. I have five children. I'm committed to getting better, like to staying, I was committed to getting better and now I'm focused on staying well. I'm living with gratitude because not living with gratitude is going to lead me probably to depression. Yeah. So it's sticking to my core value to being there with, for my family. Am I living for my children? I have a commitment. My number one core value is my children. My number one core value is am I living a life that can serve them best? Because I owe it to them. I owe it to them. So when I don't live with gratitude, 
I'm risking getting into depression. So I'm not doing it because I'm so spiritual and holy. It gets me there. It helps me connect to God on a level that I've never connected to God like that. But that's not the motive. The motive is I want to be healthy. It's the drug of my life gratitude. So I hover there. Why would I not? Oh, I'm just basking in this. I'm just taking it all in. I love it. I love it. And I agree with you. It was something that was transformative for me as well as I, as learning all these therapeutic skills was super helpful because it was helping me with my cognitive, my preference for cognitive orientations to really work those skills, those techniques on my own life. And the second part of really pulling me out of a very deep despair after I called off my wedding and then I had another love affair for two years and I thought that guy was the one. And it, as I spoke to the, my ex-fiance was perfect on paper and then this guy was not perfect on paper. We did not align again in core values, but I had that excitement about him and that chemistry and that romantic just thrill. And then when that didn't work out, now I'm 36 and I'm not where I want to be. And I did, I started sinking into some despair of and hopelessness that I would ever meet my person. And then I had to lean into all the things you talked about right there, all of it, using my, my therapeutic tools that I'd been trained to help clients with. Now I'm using them on myself and leaning into gratitude, knowing that the alter, the alternative what was just unacceptable for me. I was not, I just, it was unacceptable. I didn't, I couldn't allow myself. And it's so interesting. I'd be curious what you think about this. Cause I'm getting a lot of this in my feed and I don't agree with it. This is the first time I'm coming out <laughs> to say, I don't agree with this. And I really am curious what you think, Matana, this notion that there's this toxic positivity. I don't believe out in there. It. And I don't, okay, good. I don't believe I'm like, it. I'm not, either I don't you. fully understand it. I want to show you something. My very good friend, which I highly respect. Her name is Elisheva Liss. She's a therapist. And she talks about this book, Find Your Horizon. And she talks about the healthy, positive mindset, the healthy. So it doesn't mean, and it's, and she breaks it down beautifully in this book. Okay. And we often talk about this. What is faking your brain? Fake it to your make it. And what is fake? I'll tell you what, when Corona started, I, in the beginning of 2020, before Corona was a thing, okay, the beginning, 2020, January 1st, my husband and I always go to the city the day after the glitter and the this, and when it's silent, and we just go around and we think about the, everything that we're grateful for and we're mindful, okay? And I said to my husband, I said, you know what I'm doing? My husband is extremely funny. And always smiling. He has the most awful upbringing. He's always smiling, but true smile, not faking. He's smiling. He's happy. Fine. Makes people laugh. I'm the opposite. I smile when I feel it. Don't make me smile if I don't feel it. Don't fake it. Don't fake it. Okay. If I want to smile, I smile. Don't say smile. Don't tell me smile. And one of the things that he said to me when we, we got engaged, all you have to do is laugh at my jokes and smile. And then I'm happy. All you have to do for me is laugh at my jokes. And I always say, I never realized how your jokes are not so funny. Like my father's, okay, the whole thing, fine. But he's just smile, just smile. That's it. That's all I need, smile. So I said to myself, you know what? I do believe that the most contagious thing is anxiety. You walk into a room and there's anxiety there. You're going to get anxious within 30 seconds, or you're going to want to leave in order not to get that anxiety. If you're going to go into a room depressed and everybody's laughing, it's going to elevate a level. You might say, okay, I don't want to, I don't feel like being happy right now. So I'm going to leave. But if everybody's happy and you're a little bit down, it might elevate you. 
Anxiety is automatic. If someone's anxious and you're in that room, you're going to get anxious or you're going to leave boundaries or say or set boundaries. I'm not going to get anxious. So I said to myself, you know what? Maybe I need to work on myself. And I wrote on Facebook, my goal of the year. Everybody was like the biggest goals before Corona. My biggest goal, 2020, the biggest goals. And I said, my biggest goal is to start my day with a smile, end it with a smile. No matter what, how I feel, I'm going to start my day with my smile, end with a smile and see if it increases throughout the day. It was amazing. I really noticed my smile. I noticed what to smile for and it really got better. And I started a thing, a smile a day. Starts Corona and people are angry at me, angry. How dare you smile? How dare you be positive? So I said, you know what? Yes, you have to be sensitive. Fine. Mm -hmm. I stopped. I stopped my smile a day publicly. I did never stopped it for myself. First of all, I'm not a news person. So I very much disconnected myself because of my anxiety. I don't connect to news. I shut down. I'm very in and we have a rule in my house. You don't share how many deaths there were. You don't share disasters. You share positivity. Fine. Yep. But when I was talking about my experience and how I'm getting through Corona and my boundaries, people were very upset. Like, how can you still talk about your positivity? And I'm like, how can you not? There's so much negative. How can you not? Right. And there was a month that I went silent. I went silent. I think it was in May or June. And, and I was just, I was not willing to interact with the toxic world. For me, it was toxic. And I'm like, you cannot bring me down because you don't want to be happy. I'm sorry. Now, it could be you're miserable. It could be you're miserable, but don't take away from somebody else that's feeling okay. And don't make them feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. You know how it's a, there's a saying, it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I said, I think we need to start a post. It's okay to be okay. Yes. It's okay to be okay. Yes. It's not a yes. sin. It's right. not a sin, even though people are struggling. Yes, it doesn't mean we don't have compassion and empathy. But it's okay to be okay. It's okay to count the blessings. If you stopped for a second, no matter how hard your life is, and you counted your blessings, and you counted your misery, I'm sure your blessings will be more. We just take it for granted. Mm -hmm. So it's not Mm -hmm. fake positivity. It's Mm -hmm. noticing where the positive is and, and to elevate it. How do you feel about it? The research substantiates it. And I think what happens, and like you said, we want to be sensitive. And we want to be empathic and we are, but anyone who's in a helping space, whether a therapist, coach, whoever, there's, you provide the empathy, you provide the validation for the person's experience. Then what? Then we look to the research and we look to the therapeutic tools. We look to lifestyle practices that we know for a fact, help us feel better. I sometimes feel that some people have now identified with their pain to such a degree that it's now truly part of their identity and they don't want to be okay. They really don't. Exactly. How much do you want it? My first question I ask every client, how much do you want it? I can't want it more than you. You're doing the work. You're meeting with me once, maybe twice a week. How much do you want it? Because you're going to be doing the work. You're the one paying me, spending your money. How much do you want it? And that's the question. I can't do it for you. Right. No. And I remember in my grad program, learning to be a therapist, I'll never forget. Uh, one of my professors said, we can't work harder than our clients. Can't. And we can't hold, and we can't hold that misery that they're holding. 
No, we provide a space for them to process it, to analyze it, to unpack it, to move through it, to process and feel it. And then we go, now what will we do? And that's, and it's a choice. And people don't recognize sometimes, not everyone, but some people don't recognize they have a choice and they get really angry with people like you and like me who have said, I do know that I have a choice. And my choice is no matter what's happening outside of me, I can't control any of that. But what I can control is right here in my mindset and I can control my smile. And actually research shows that when we smile, yes. it sends messages to our brain. So yeah, listen, I, you do you, but for me, I'm going to be smiling. I'm going to be looking for the bright side. I'm going to be using my therapeutic tools and my gratitude remain happy, hopeful, and positive. And if that's not your scene, okay, you hang out with the other miserable people. That's cool. But if you're yeah. over here with me, I'm going to with you and smiling. And it doesn't mean Marsha Linehan talks about radical acceptance that it goes, and I'm talking about it a lot because we just finished a whole month about understanding DBT and borderline personality disorder. It doesn't mean that we don't hang out in misery and sadness and, and it's extreme resentment sometimes, but we choose to, we say, okay, this is the time now moving forward. We're not extending their welcome. Mm-hmm. We, we're working towards getting out of it. And it's not that we poo poo um, being sad. Like we're in that. That's why we created our podcast because we know that there's a lot of mental illness. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. But why prolong it if there is the pill that's not physical, that it's mental to be able to lift us out of it? You said it so poignantly that you know what depression feels like and you are going to do everything in your power to not go there again. And after, like I said, when I was having so much heartbreak and just it, multiple relationships going south and feeling so hopeless that I would ever find that deep desire that I had that most people have to meet their person and to have partnership throughout their life. I was so, I got so despondent that I felt so, so demoralized. And I thought, I can't, I can't live like this isn't an option. I know what that feels like. And I refuse to go there again. And again, getting back to core values, it, it was against my values. My father, you talked about your parents and some of the, the values that they taught you. My father would say to us kids when we were belly aching and whining, he'd look at us, it would, he, his eyes would get really big. He'd say with a really firm, he'd say, fix it. Very firm. Ass. Oh, wow. Fix it. He would look at us and tell us, get happy. I go that's to therapy. a little bit like that's a little bit harsh because I then you're it. not allowed to, you liked it? No, I hated it at the time. And I like it now. At the time I was like, what? You're minimizing my pain. And then I get to therapy school. And yes, if you go into a Rogerian direction with this empathy and people need to be validated for their emotions. Yes. I thought, gosh, my, my dad was, that was so harsh. I can't believe he would say that to me. He was, wasn't validating right. my experience. Right. And then I got into my cognitive class. I was like, oh, wait, no, dad was onto something because he, what my dad was communicating. And I say this, but he was also very warm and nurturing and loving and lots of hugs and kisses. Exactly. So that was the empathy part. It was the combination of both. And the expectation was, and here's what parents miss as well, is that when my dad told me, get happy, what he was communicating to me was not only a mandate that this is a value in life, that we are not going to be wallowing in our misery, wallowing in, in woe is me and victimhood. And my father was born very poor. And so he had every reason to be a victim if he wanted to, and he didn't. 
but he was also communicating to me and I would I'd be curious for you as a parent, what you think he communicated to me, you know what, Karen, you, you can, can do, do it. it. So that high expectation, fix it. And I know you can do it. And I know you can get happy. So as that- a pa- yeah, as a parent, like hearing fix it, it, it hurts me. It hurts me. If he would say, I know you could do it. How can I help you get there? If you need, it would be a little bit more soothing than that like a captain fix it. There was no empathy for me as a parent. And as a child, I felt I lost my breath, but because you said he was so nurturing and caring, that was the subtle I'm here for you. And also I should say the fix it only came out when we were like, I want another order of fries. It wasn't, it wasn't when we were had a legitimate complaint. It's when we were being spoiled brat. That was the one to fix it. But the get happy and the make it happen was another one of his adages. Make, make it, it happen, happen. doll. Oh. Make it happen, doll, babe. With Sh- with so much cheerleader, and- a cheerleader. Make exactly. it happen. You could follow your dreams. I always tell my children, think what you dream big. You mm-hmm. can do it. Now, can you do anything in the world? No, but I do believe that if you set your mind to whatever you want, you can achieve it. Can you achieve what your neighbor achieves? Probably not, because it's not what drives you. So right. figure out what drives you, what you want to achieve, and you can achieve it. You can achieve mm-hmm. it. If somebody else achieves it with that passion that you have to achieve it, you could do. But make sure, again, that aligns with your passion, with your right. core values, where you're going, because that's the fuel to stick with your core values. So make sure that it aligns. You can achieve. You can really do. Go big, grand, the grand. Fix it. But don't, not in a fix it way, but go get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what, what I think. So what is your community saying about maybe we need to be a little bit softer with our happy living. That's what my husband says. My husband's very mm. happy. And he's maybe like, you don't have to show everybody all the time how happy you are. You could be subtle about it. You could be a role model, but not in your face. He calls it tone deaf. He's like, Matana, you're tone deaf. I'm like, really? He's very private. Like in the social media, he's not private and, and like around. He's very loud and whatever, but in social media, you won't see him. And I'm the opposite. I share. I want people to see my family, my life, my ups, my downs. I want to share my life to see that there's a cycle. There's, there's this ups and downs and how do we get out of it? And he says, sometimes you're tone deaf, Matana. Yeah, I don't. That tone deaf is a kind of a newer term that people, and I know what he's saying, but aren't we all supposed to be authentic and vulnerable? And if you're being authentic and vulnerable and being like, I'm legitimately happy. And it's I mean, okay. And it's okay right. to be happy. It's, it's okay to be okay. Like, you said. like we, we need to start a hashtag. It's okay to be okay. Cause so many times, and I used to say, and I still say it's okay to not be okay, but understand why don't prolong it and just hang out in the misery. Do what Marsha Linehan talks about. W- live in your misery in order to get out of hell, not in order to prolong the misery and make that your safe home. Yeah. I think people get stuck. Yeah. People get yeah. stuck. So what can we say as wrapping words of wisdom for core values that to encourage people to really look into their core values and to do the work and to check in with yourselves every mm-hmm. few years. I check in with my core values once a year mm-hmm. to see if they're still my core values. Sometimes they shift with life and it's okay that they shift. Just check in with them because your relationships and your boundaries will be so clear. And that's something that I learned through my deep depression that I, I crashed 
because I didn't have any boundaries. I wasn't aware of my core values and everything was just enmeshed in accept me versus Mm. accept me with my core values that I wasn't aware of. So what closing words can you give our community? Yeah, I would say have fun with your self-exploration of core values and recognize that we talk about do the work, but in this case, it's not even hard work. It's fun work to go just to be curious about your own reactions. That's the starting point. Go, why did that bug me so much? Like we talked about and unpack was whether it was someone who was late or someone who was wasting money or someone who made that choice. And you're like, I wouldn't do that. Why wouldn't you do that? People are like, don't be judgmental. I'm like, we're all judgmental. Okay. So put that aside. So when you see someone and you have a strong response, like, oh, I don't, I would never have done that. Why wouldn't you have done that? Ask yourself that question, get curious, have fun with it and recognize that as you do that, you will create space within yourself to see yourself more clearly. And that will help you then not to have knee jerk reactions because you'll know what that response is about. We make the distinction between reaction and response. You can see someone do something or someone, something happens in your world and you can go, okay, I know why that's hitting me. Why that's a trigger, triggering situation. And I don't have to react knee jerk reaction. I can be thoughtful about it because I know it's about my values and my value. I see someone behaving or someone behaving toward me or toward someone else in a way that's out of step with my values. And now I can understand myself more clearly, have fun with that and recognize that every, this work that you do will be, it's, it is the work of emotional maturity. It is the work of boundary setting. When people go, how do I set boundaries? That's exactly what you just spoke to. It's clarifying these values and all these other parts of emotional health, psychological well-being will start to naturally happen because you've done this exploration of your core values. And then you'll li- you just live life with more peace because you're not constantly in conflict. Once you have your core values, you have boundaries, you lead your life in a way that fits and it just reduces anxiety. It really does. It really reduces anxiety and it reduces crashes like I had. It really yeah. reduces that mental health crash that the body keeps the score and it just says no more. Thank you, Dr. Karen, for deep diving and having this passion. I love our passionate conversation. Thank you. So where can people reach out to you? Do you do one-on-one sessions anymore? Or you're just, you're, you're like now teaching therapists how to be therapists. Where are you holding? Yeah. So I'm no longer a professor. So it's all about my podcast and my writing. My book is single is the new black. Don't wear white till it's right. So if you are someone who Mm. like me, it's taking a little bit longer to meet your person. That's a resource that will help you stay happy, hopeful, positive. There's no telling you how to snag a man. It's not that kind of book. It's about how to remain hopeful using the strategies that we spoke to today. My platform is drkarendr.karin. I'm most active on Instagram. I do a little bit on Facebook and the others, but pretty much you hit me up on Instagram. I do consultations one-on-one. I also offer group support. Usually those will be about surrounding dating and relationship stuff. I'm also a stepmother. So I do some work in that area. My podcast, as you mentioned, is Love and Life with Dr. Karen, again, K-A-R-I-N. And my website is loveandlifemedia.com, loveandlifemedia.com. And I want to thank you so much for this opportunity to share with your community. I have so enjoyed this conversation. You have to come on my podcast. I'd love you to take a deep dive into gratitude for my listeners. Oh, I would love that. So all of your links we're going to put into the show notes. 
and follow. And if you have questions, where do they, you have the ask, ask the question on your podcast. So if somebody wants to ask that question, where do they go? Yeah, go to my website and I have an ask a question tab. I get a lot of questions. Some I answer on Instagram in love smarter, not harder IGTVs. But yeah, the ones that are on the podcast, there's an opportunity. You can just click record and you can record your question and then we will play it for everyone anonymously. We won't have your name, but yeah. So that way everyone else can maybe, because probably if one person has that question, someone else does it as well. So we share it with the broader community. Oh, so you make it easy for them. They go to your website, they Mm -hmm. press record, it uploads, done. Yep. Yep. Done. That's great. Thank you so much for joining me here. And I can't wait to see our re- the reactions that come out of this, I would say a little controversial conversation, but yeah, very open, but very open and honest and we're okay. And it's mm-hmm. okay to be okay with controversy. Yeah. Yes, it is. Thank you so much, Matana. Bye till next time. Thank you for listening till the end. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. In Mental Health Together is Better, you being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com and see what other offerings we have there for your mental health well-being. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Bye till next time.